This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parashat Chukat, Solving the Mystery. Parashat Chukat opens with the ritual of the Paraduma, the red heifer. When a person has had contact with the dead, they are considered impure, tamay mate. This designated animal is burnt, and its ashes are mixed with water, which is then used to purify anyone who was affected by this impurity. This ritual is considered to be one of the most mystifying of the Torah and one of the most challenging mitzvot to understand. This is in large part because any person who is part of the process of producing these purifying waters themselves become impure, though the water itself is a purifying agent. Why is this so? Solving this mystery of how a pure person becomes impure in the process of removing someone else's impurity, will teach us about what it means to truly invest in and sacrifice for someone else. It will also encourage us to recognize and appreciate the invisible investments and sacrifices that we benefit from. Midrash Tanchuma articulates what makes the Para Aduma procedure so confusing. Rabbi Yoshua de Sachnin b'shem Rabbi Levi Amar, Sadin batitit, mutar, uchativ ba chuka. Et chukotai tishmoru, vemtachalo tarbia kilain. Saira mishaleach dichtiv. Veha mishalech et asair lazazel yechabes begadav. Vehuatmo mechaper alacherim. Uchativ ba, vahaitazot lachem luchukat olam. Paraduma minaim. Ditnan, kol hauskin ba para, mitchila viad sof. Mitamin begadim. Vihi gufa metaheret begadim. Uchativ ba chuka. Zot chukat hatora. Rabbi Yeshua from Sachlin said in the name of Rabbi Levi There are four things that the evil inclination challenges as being contrary to logic. And regarding each of them, the term chuka, law, is written. These are the wife of one's brother, mixed materials, the scapegoat, and the red heifer. The wife of one's brother, as it is written, the nakedness of your brother's wife you may not uncover. But if the brother dies without children, then her brother-in-law shall come to her. And about improper sexual encounters, it says, you shall observe my laws, chukotai, and statutes. Mixed materials, as it is written, do not wear shatnez, wool and linen, together. But a linen garment with wool fringes is permitted. And about it is written, you shall observe my laws, chukotai, do not mate mixed species of animals. The scapegoat, as it is written, the one who sends the goat to Azazel should wash his clothes. But it itself atones for others. And about it it is written, this shall be for you a permanent law, chukat olam. How do we know that this is the case regarding the red heifer? As it is taught, all who engage with the heifer from the beginning to the end are impure to the level where it affects their clothing. But the cow itself purifies clothing, and about it, chukah, is written. This is the law, chukat, of the Torah. 
Rabbi Yeshua from Sakhalin presents four mitzvot that seem to defy logic. In the first two examples, leveret marriage and wearing shotness, he points out that a mixture or liaison, which is usually explicitly forbidden, can in some cases become permitted or even commanded. But how can something be both a core violation and an essential mitzvah? In the second two examples, the scapegoat and the paraduma, the item which is supposed to bring expiation, cleansing, and purification, ends up having the opposite effect for anyone who engages with it too closely. What Rabbi Yoshua is looking for and not finding in these chukim is consistency. Is this act considered harmful or is it considered beneficial? Is this material purifying or is it putrefying? Though Rabbi Yeshua does not distinguish between the four examples that he brings, the latter two examples, the purifying object, which itself renders things impure, has a readily available explanation. Purity and impurity are not absolute categories like forbidden and permitted. They are states that people and objects can enter into and escape from. When a human being contracts impurity, it is a temporary state that needs to be remedied, a stain that needs to be cleansed. Death touches us all, and we all come in contact with the impurity it imparts. But unlike death, impurity is a state which is impermanent. The exceptions to otherwise ironclad prohibitions, in the cases of tzitzit or leveret marriage, are baffling because when something is forbidden, we assume that it is bad or wrong, and therefore should be forbidden in all circumstances. Ritual impurity, on the other hand, is more dynamic. It travels, it comes and goes, it is absorbed, and it is removed. When we pay attention to this quality of impurity, we are able to understand the quote-unquote mystery, the chok of the para'aduma, and reveal that it is actually quite intelligible. To illustrate, if I have a dirty floor that I would like to clean, I take a mop and a pail full of clean, soapy water. After I am done mopping, the floor is clean, and the pail of water is now dingy and disgusting. But I do not ask Rabbi Yeshua from Sachlin's question, how could it be that the soapy water which cleans has now itself become unclean? Because I understand that the water in the pail has absorbed the dirt from the floor. When something is cleaned or purified, the defilement doesn't disappear, it is transferred. The person who leads the scapegoat absorbs some of the impurity that is associated with bearing sin. The Kohanim who prepare the ashes and the sanctifying water of the red heifer are absorbing the tum'ah that is being taken away from the people they are purifying. This awareness is subtly reflected by a different passage in Midrash Chanchuma. Why is it that all of the sacrifices can be male or female animals, but the red heifer must be female? Rabbi Ibo said, a parallel to what is this similar to the son of a maid who dirtied the palace of the king. The king said, let his mother come and clean the excrement. So said the Holy Blessed One, let the heifer come and atone for the action of the calf.
The calf that is referred to in the Midrash is the golden calf, which was worshipped by the people and is considered to be the primary and paradigmatic sin that B'nai Israel committed. This sin has a putrefying effect on the people, inhering in them and needing to be purged. According to this Midrash, purification is analogous to, or perhaps even synonymous with, the cleaning of filth. The mess that was made by the child, the calf, is cleaned up by the mother, the fully grown cow. Though the mother is not at fault, she does the cleaning. Similarly, though the Kohen is not at fault, the Kohen does the cleaning. We often translate the word chet as sin, which obscures an aspect of its meaning which is connected to defilement. Some Hebrew verbs take on a specific meaning and that meaning's exact opposite. For example, the root shin resh shin, when conjugated in the simple form lishrosh, means to plant. However, when it is conjugated in the intensive case lisharesh, it means to uproot. Similarly, we see from the description of the paraduma ritual that the root chet tet aleph chet, when written in the intensive case, means to cleanse. So it follows that when it is written in the simple form, it signifies becoming sullied. And the pure person should sprinkle on the impure person on the third day and on the seventh day, and he will cleanse him on the seventh day. And he will launder his clothes and wash his body in water and be pure in the evening. In this verse, it is clear that we have three types of cleaning. The sprinkling of the cleaning agent, the mechatat, which offers spiritual cleansing. Then the laundering of the clothes. And lastly, the bathing of the body, which provides a physical cleanse. The Torah's narration of the ritual itself emphasizes water, laundering, and cleaning, and calls our attention to the fact that the purification mechanism is a type of washing away, sin, death, and their effects. When we insist that the cleansing is an incomprehensible ritual, we deny the sacrifice on the part of the servants of God, who are cleaning up the mess that we have made. The mechanism of the para'aduma is not hard to understand because we have all seen rags, sponges, and mops become dirty in the process of making our counters, dishes, and floors clean. It is dangerous to insist that this ritual is mystifying because the more we say that we don't understand how the purifier can become impure, the more we obscure the hard work of the cleaner and the person who themselves absorbs the dirt. The Kohanim are generally not allowed to become impure, and if they do, they cannot perform their duties in the sanctuary, the Mikdash, and cannot eat their holy food. When the Kohanim purify the people, they are giving up the purity that they have worked so hard to maintain, so that regular people, whose needs for purity are less, can become clean and have access to the Mikdash. And we consistently ignore or even deny this great sacrifice in our interpretation of this procedure. It is no coincidence, then, that the laws of the Para'aduma are followed by the death of our prophetess Miriam, who was underappreciated in her lifetime.
ולא היה מים לעדה, ויקהלו על משה ועל אהרון. ולמה הליטונו ממצרים להביא אותנו למקום הרע הזה, לא מקום זרע ותאנה וגפן ורימון, ומים עין לשתות. בני ישראל and all the people came to the desert of Tzin in the first month, and the people dwelled in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the people, and they gathered against Moshe and against Aram. The people said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to bring us to this bad place? It is not a place of plantings or fig trees or grapevines or pomegranate trees, and there is no water to drink. When Moshe and Aram died, the people mourned them. When Miriam died, there was a quick and efficient burial with no mourning period attached. According to rabbinic tradition, the juxtaposition of Miriam's death and the absence of water signifies that Miriam was the source of the water. All of the time that Miriam was alive, a well supplied Israel with water. When Miriam died, what does it say? Miriam died there and there was no water because the well departed. Miriam supplied water to the people, but they didn't appreciate her hidden efforts. Water in this parasha symbolizes this blindness on the part of the people, not noticing what other people are providing for them, not understanding that their comfort and ease comes through the efforts and merits of other people whom they should, but more often do not, recognize. Miriam was underappreciated, and Moshe's sacrifice and hard work was so invisible to the people that they complained to him and about him incessantly. When the water disappeared, the people immediately turned to Moshe and Aharon, blaming them for bringing them into the desert. The people had the nerve to say to their redeemers, we wish that you had never brought us out of Egypt. This attitude of the people towards their loving shepherds helps to explain a strange moment in the Midrash which highlights Moshe's connection to the Paradumas' unexplainable quality. V'yikhu elecha, Rabbi Yossi bar Hanina Amar, Amar le'akadosh baruchu le'moshe, Ani megale lecha ta'ampara, Aval l'acherim chuka, And they will take to you, Rabbi Yossi Bar Hanina says, The Holy Blessed One said to Moshe, I will reveal the reason of the parah to you, but to others it will be a chukah. Perhaps the reason why only Moshe understands the parah aduma, but everyone else is mystified by it, is that Moshe is the least appreciated. Moshe prayed and suffered for the people. He starved himself of food and drink. He starved himself of rest and he prayed for the people time and time again. The people never say thank you. The people never tell Moshe that they love him and see his efforts. The people complain. They don't see that Moshe is caring for them, cleaning up after them, carrying around their filth, and trading on his own merits to ask God to grant them forgiveness and expiation. This insight explains another oddity of the Paraduma, which is not addressed by the Midrash. This is the law of the instruction that God commanded, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, and they will bring to you a perfectly red heifer that is no blemish and has never borne a yoke. 
a straightforward reading of the verse yields that the term chukah actually applies to the taking of the cow, not to the process of preparing the ashes. What might seem unexplainable is that the cow has to be completely red, flawless, and unworked. Rabbeinu Bachya provides an explanation for these qualities. Aduma al shem hachet, karoy adom, shenamar im yuchatechem kashanim kashela gelbinum. Timima al shehayu Yisrael timimim ven asu bo ba'alei mumin, vatavoze utechaper alehem v'yichazru letimimut. Lo ala aleha ol, kashem shaparku me'alehem ol malchut shamayim. Red, because sin is called red. As it is said, if your sins are as red as scarlet, they will be whitened as snow. Perfect, because Israel was perfect, and they became blemished. So let this come and atone for them, and they will return to perfection. Has never borne a yoke, just as they have removed from themselves the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. The red heifer is us, and the hope is that we don't understand this. We don't know what it means to bear a yoke. We think that the mystery is that the pure become impure. But what is truly mystifying is how intentionally blind we are to the fact that other people are purifying us, taking our responsibilities onto themselves. We remove the yoke from ourselves and burden other people who are serving us, providing for us, cleaning up the messes that we make. We never truly see all of the effort that goes into the services that we use and to everything we consume. Not because the people or the work are invisible, but because we are not committing to seeing them. Our insistence that the things we benefit from magically appear, that the process of our purification is a mystery that can't be solved, reflects our unwillingness to encounter and really appreciate the people in our lives who make the way we live possible. But we need to pull back the curtain and pay loving and appreciative attention to who is cleaning us. Who is providing us with spiritual and physical sustenance? Who is enabling us to take them for granted? The Chukat HaTorah is that there is no Chukat HaTorah. Wishing you a Shabbat of solved mysteries. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.